How is the church doing? Do you know? The church around the world, the church in the UK, Modern Road Church that we are a part of. How is it doing? <coughs> is it growing? Is it thriving? Is it a church that's struggling? Shrinking? Do you care? When I was a kid, the local Bible college near where I lived used to host an annual world missionary convention. Great fun. And a giant marquee on the lawn of the college grounds. And I don't remember a lot about it, but I do remember two things. One, running around the two-acre ground playing hide-and-seek. But secondly, and more importantly, I remember just hearing lots of really amazing stories of what God was doing as people from all around the world came home to share the news of what God had been doing wherever it was that they were. People gathered from all over the county upon the Wirral to rejoice as they heard about people becoming Christians, the church growing, to pray together about the areas of need, persecution, and then to come together to partner in gospel work to see God's kingdom come all around the world. It was an exciting time where Christians wanted to learn about and respond to what God was doing in his church around the world. And Nehemiah, the man we've met tonight in our reading, our new series, was a man who wanted to know what was going on in the church. What was God doing in fulfilling his purposes? Now Nehemiah lived a long time ago, lived around the 5th century BC, so way after King David, and even after all the kings that followed him. He lived even after the Jews had been to exile and had finished their exile of 70 years. Many Jews had actually begun to return back to Jerusalem, just as God had promised. Things were exciting for the people in Nehemiah's day. In verse 2, we read that Nehemiah's brother and some other people had returned from Jerusalem to where Nehemiah was, and Nehemiah questioned them, how is it going? How are those, the remnant, those who survived the exile, and how is Jerusalem, God's city, is it being rebuilt? He wanted to know what's going on. And as we'll discover as you read Nehemiah, particularly today and, and following weeks, we'll see that the answer to this question, he asks, changes his life. And God goes on to use him to lead others to, to build the church, to grow God's mission in a hard and difficult time. You see, it, it was supposed to be exciting. See, Nehemiah, Nehemiah is there, a hundred years before he was, people had gone back to Jerusalem. They'd been in exile for 70 years, but they'd begun to return. God had promised that that would happen. And it had begun to happen. If you have a Bible, flip back to the beginning of the book of Ezra. Ezra is the book before Nehemiah. Just a little bit of context. That's page 472. And there we learned that King Cyrus, who was the first king of Persia, so a new world empire on the scene, he proclaimed that the Lord, so the God of heaven and earth, had appointed him to build a temple for God in Jerusalem. 
just as Jeremiah had prophesied. And Cyrus says, if you look at chapter 1, verse 3, any of his people, God's people, among you may go to Jerusalem in Judah to build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. So for the Israelites, those who have been in captivity for 70 years, this was a dream come true. God had kept his promise and it seems that now was the time that God's kingdom was going to come. And finally all prophecy would be fulfilled, the Messiah would come, rule over Israel and all would be happy, happy ever after. See, for Nehemiah, the fact that the exile was over, people had returned to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, was an answer to prayer. It was a fulfillment of prophecy. Nehemiah lived a thousand miles away in Susa. They were near Jerusalem and he didn't know what was going on and so he couldn't wait to hear the news. How is the church doing? Back to us. When it comes to us today, we know that in the New Testament, once the Messiah had come, the Lord Jesus, who arrived 500 years after Nehemiah, he promised that he would build his church. He promised that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, would go to the whole world. And when that happens, the end would come. So I ask you this evening again, are you interested to know how that is going? God has this world mission, purposes, promises that he will fulfill, complete, at the end of the time, and, and how are we doing in that? If one of the main reasons Jesus hasn't returned yet is because he's still building his church, what part are we playing here in Modern Roads? in God's mission? Is it a priority for us? Or, if we were to hear a report, as Nehemiah does, about the state and the needs of the church, how would we respond? How would our lives be changed? We're going to see over the next few months, not just weeks, as we look through Nehemiah, that, that he is a man who God uses to rebuild not only the walls of Jerusalem, but the people of God, to rebuild their identity, preparing them, moving them forward for the coming of the Messiah. We'll see that they'll face opposition, they'll have to work together, they'll be convicted of sin, they'll have to recommit themselves to the Lord, to living his way. But we'll learn that the Lord is with them, that he is the one who keeps them and grows them, working out his purposes in and through the people for his glory. And so it's our prayer that as we explore the book of Nehemiah, that God would give us a passion for his kingdom, passion for his name, a hunger as we seek to ask God, what is our part in you building your church? Well, what was this news that Nehemiah heard from Jerusalem or was the report. Remember, so much anticipation filled the heart of Nehemiah. He longed to see how God was fulfilling his purposes and then he hears this from his friends. They said to me, verse 3, those who survived the exile are back into province are in great trouble 
and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Not quite what he was hoping for. Picture the scene. Many Jews, not many, not everyone, but some had gone back. They had gathered together. The king had proclaimed they should return to Jerusalem to build a temple. They had his royal stamp of approval. They'd had all their resources in their suitcase. They had a police escort back to Jerusalem. Even their leader, Zerubbabel, who went with them, he was in the line of David. Could he be the Messiah who was going to rebuild and restore Israel? Ezra 3 tells us that the building began, the foundations were laid, and as great shouts of joy rang out as they saw it start, there were also tears and weeping. The older men who had gone back knew that the foundations of this temple were not as grand as that of Solomon's temple. Chapter 4 of Ezra, we see the protesters have put up blockades. They've told lies to the king back in Persia, saying that these Israelites are against you. And when the temple is finally finished, expectations of the glory of God would once again rush into the temple and God would once again dwell. It never happened. And sadly, as you read through Ezra, you see that things are just not as they hoped for. And not as they were promised. People were intermarrying with foreign nations again. People were just apathetic, spiritually, following the ways of those around them. Moral compromise. Unimpressive people. Facing opposition. Strong, secular powers authority over them and God's promises just didn't seem complete. So that was then. I can't help feeling that there's a little bit of deja vu for us. Maybe sometimes as we read reports of how the church is doing, is it going as we hoped or we longed according to the promises of God for the church? Now, of course, the church is growing. We mustn't miss that. I'm sure we know of the the massive growth in places like China, South America, and many parts of Africa. The church is thriving and growing. Even in the UK, the church is growing. Churches are being planted. CCC. People are becoming Christians and being baptised. I was in a church a couple of weeks ago that are expecting to baptise eight people in, in the next few weeks. So the church is growing, But at the same time, the church is shrinking. I read a weird statistic that said as quickly as the church is growing, the church is also shrinking. But it's not just numbers that we notice. Even for the millions of people in our country who do profess Christ, living a Christian life is hard. There is increasing pressure, opposition to our faith. Perhaps an increased isolation as the church longs to follow God's ways, but in an ever-increasingly secular society. Politics and recent changes in the law seem to go against biblical values. British values, so-called. Squeezing out Christian worldviews. And the main voices that we hear are one of everything is, we should tolerate everything. All religions are acceptable. 
But unfortunately, sometimes when we even look inside the church, we see compromise. The impression that the world has of the church is that it's outdated, it's old-fashioned, it's a bit weird. It's irrelevant to 21st century life. Maybe you know many Christians who they wouldn't even step into a church building. Christians are hypocrites. Moral compromise. Liberalism. Sleeping into the pews, even into the pulpits. So what is happening to Christianity in the UK? What is the future? Has, has Jesus stopped building his church here? If these things are true, how does it make you feel? If it's the, the reality of what it's like to live our Christian lives, are we happy to remain there? Or should we respond? Should we seek God in some way? What is the reaction? What is the reaction of Nehemiah? He hears this terrible news of what's going on in Jerusalem. And in verse 4 we see, we read, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. If you ever experienced bad news, shocking news that means you can't do anything but just sit down. Maybe news of the death of someone you know, hearing a bad diagnosis, losing a job, shocked, horrified, unexpected. For Nehemiah, this is what it was like. He was a man who cared for the people of God, passionate for God's glory, longed to see the Messiah come and the kingdom come, excited to hear the news of what God was doing. But he's just so disappointed. He's not been in Jerusalem, so he's, he's been ignorant of what's been happening. He's not witnessed the slow decline of the people of God, the opposition, the moral failure. He's not been tempted just to glaze over the truth and and become immune to the problems facing the church. He's hearing this for the first time and it hits him hard. It's very easy for us to just to glaze over perhaps and not really see the true state of the church. The moral compromise, maybe even for us. The difficulties of living in an increasing secular, atheistic society, the power the politics, the entertainment industry, the media has in trying to belittle and stamp out the voice of Jesus. What is our reaction? Do we care? Are we jealous for the glory of God? We should care. We should be bothered of the millions of people in, in Britain who don't know Christ and have rejected him. We should care about those who have professed to know Christ but live for themselves. The sermon series is entitled Building the Church for the Future. But before we even think about being part of the building, we need to, we need to see that there's a need for it. We need to feel it. 
prepare ourselves for it. God is building his church. He will continue to build his church. He built his church through his people. But in Nehemiah's day, it seems that, that God's people have failed. Well, what's Nehemiah's response to this? What is he going to do? You don't hear him shouting. We don't hear him blaming God. We don't read that he runs away and gives up. But we see he was a man who is driven to his knees in fasting and prayer. Let's read his prayer again. Verse 5. Let's read his prayer. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive to your, and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night and for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as the dwelling for my name. Nehemiah prays. He, he trusts in the promises of God. And he does this in, in three ways. And they do actually all begin with R. It's an R night tonight. First of all, he remembers. It's very easy to doubt God is able to fulfill his promises. We've been thinking about that a little bit over the last few weeks. Forgetting who God is, his character, as we're consumed by life and sin. God has sent his people into exile because of their sin, and he's allowed these other nations to come and take over them. But is he now able to defeat those nations, to bring back his glory? Because whenever we doubt, we should do what Nehemiah does, what the psalmists do. What we've been doing on a Sunday morning is reminding ourselves of who God is. Reminding ourselves of his character and the things that he has done. He is the Lord, as we read in verse 5. The covenant-keeping God. The only God. He is the great, the awesome, the glorious, the, the good God. When we remember who God is, what he has done for us, our response is praise and thanksgiving. That despite us, despite the power and the opposition around us, despite our lack of faith, God is still God. He's still at work. We look back and we remember what God has done in the past. We see how he has overcome in the past. Nehemiah refers back to that great salvation of Egypt. In verse 10, God has rescued them, redeemed his people with a mighty hand. They are his people. And throughout history, we can read and see how God has always kept his promises. He's never failed his people. And so right now, as Nehemiah fears 
that perhaps God's promises will never actually be fulfilled, you can see that God is good. That he is faithful. That he keeps his promises. And of course God has been faithful beyond Nehemiah's day. God did send the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And we have the privilege of looking back to when he came and to see how he rescued his people ultimately from their greatest enemy, which is sin. And God is continuing on his mission to gather people to himself. We may face times of decline, hardship, but we can remember God, who he is, that he's kept his promises so far, that that all of God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus. God is in control and he's working out his purposes. The first thing that Nehemiah does. And then secondly, he he repents. He confesses his sin. He realises that the massacre of the Israelites in is, is really their own fault. Look at verse 6. It says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted wickedly towards you and not obeyed your commands, your decrees, the laws you gave to your servant Moses. Nehemiah knows full well that the time of exile was deserved. The Jews had turned from God and had worshipped foreign idols. They'd strayed from the law of God, rejecting his ways, and they'd forgotten his covenants. Nehemiah even quotes God's words to Moses and if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. So they knew these things, these things were going to happen. They brought shame upon God's name. They ruined it. How have we, or how have churches today been like that? God's people get turned from him, bringing shame on the reputation of Jesus, compromising in morality, apathetic in evangelism, entertaining religious pluralism. Now the church is not a nation state like Israel was. God's not going to send us into exile, but God does promise to discipline his people. He will discipline the church. We've just looked at that a little bit in our evening Services and revelation that God was going to remove the lampstand, discipline his people, and they compromised in truth and in holiness. I don't know if you can remember back to this time last year almost, we began a series in Habakkuk, prophet from the Old Testament, and we pondered the possibility of perhaps God is allowing persecution to come to Britain as a form of discipline. To wake us up to how we are living. We might not necessarily be playing a huge part in bringing shame on God's name, but, but we know that we are still sinners. We are members of God's church. And so perhaps this evening we need to spend time repenting ourselves. Where are we being ashamed of God's 
of his glory. Where have we not really been willing to be a part of God's mission? Well, we've seen in Nehemiah's prayer that the God is great that he is the covenant-keeping God. We trust in him. And then thirdly, Nehemiah requests, he asks God to fulfill his promises and bring once again glory to his name. Nehemiah reminds God of his promise. Look at verse 8. To the negative, if you are unfaithful, the people, I will scatter you among the nations. But, in verse 9, if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Nehemiah quotes God back to himself again. These are the things that God has promised. God promised if you sin, there will be consequences. But if you come back to me, if you repent, then I will build the church again. And God promises to gather his people from all over. And God had begun to do that a hundred years earlier with that decree from Cyrus. God was beginning to bring his people back. But of course we know that in Jesus that promise is fulfilled in an even greater way. Because of Christ and through him all nations are gathered or welcomed into a new dwelling place which is Jesus himself. To know God personally. To have him live within them by his spirit. And the one day as Revelation tells us God will dwell with us on a new heaven, in a new heavens and a new earth, where a new perfect Jerusalem will be, will dwell, and we will be with God forever. God has that last day in his mind. He knows when it's going to come. And he's working out his purposes to bring history to its completion in that, in that way. We don't know when that will be. We are here today. We look around us. We see the church. We see perhaps the gospel not growing as much as it is around the world. We see the opposition, the pressure upon the church. And we long, we mourn that this is where we are. We want a passion for the glory of God. We want to trust in his promises, knowing that he does promise to build his church. But then finally, we want to offer ourselves to God to be part of his mission as he builds the church. And this is what Nehemiah does. His resolution is to partner with God in his mission. If you notice, at the end of his prayer, verse 11, he begins the same way he He ends the same way as he began, pleading that God will listen and respond to his prayer. He humbly opens his heart and resolves that God would give him success and grant him favour as he goes in the presence of this man, whoever he is. Nehemiah wants to do something about the situation. He spent some time thinking, praying, fasting, talking to others. And his resolution is to go before this man 
And of course, next week we'll hear more about what all that means, as Matthew takes us to chapter 2. But a fascinating fact that we learn at the very end of this first chapter is, is more about who this guy Nehemiah is. Who is this man we've been talking about? Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. Now that doesn't mean that he was just some slave whose job it was to taste the wine to make sure he wasn't poisoned. It was one of his duties. But a cupbearer was someone in a high position, privileged position. Someone who had regular access to the king, who the king trusted with his, with his life. He might have been an advisor in some way, who had great responsibilities, good character, many skills, to be the person that God could use to gather the people together, to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. That is the mission he wants to do, as we'll see next week. And it seems that God has placed Nehemiah in the right place so that he could make it all happen. He has a connection with the king, and God willing, he'll receive a blessing, permission, resources, manpower, that he may go for a time to rebuild the walls. And so as we close this evening, our challenge is not that we would be like Nehemiah and go and out and save the world, but that we would be willing to be part of God's people, used by him, to build the church. Notice in verse 11 too, this is not just Nehemiah. He says, let your ear be attentive to the prayers of this your servant and to the prayers of your servants who delight in revering your name. Most of us won't be like Nehemiah. We won't be great leaders that God will use in great ways. But he does call all of us to be a part of his people, his church, the body, And he has placed us all in different areas where he wants to use us to build his church. So as we'll see in future weeks, we want to be like the people in Nehemiah's day and pick up our spade, play our part in rebuilding the walls. God is building his church. He will one day finish and fulfill all his promises. One day his glory will fill the whole world. That is our vision. That is the end goal. But now, in the midst of difficulty, opposition, our own sin, our own failings, the amazing thing is that God wants to use us. So let us take time to pray, to remember God's promises, that be who he is, what he's done for us to be our drive, our motivation, and that we would offer ourselves to partner with him in mission as he built his church for his glory. Let's take some time right now to quietly pray and respond. Respond to these three things here. Maybe spend some time asking God, where is my passion? Do I have passion for his glory, for his kingdom? Do I trust in his promises? Am I living the life? Am I being part of the mission? And let's make a resolution that we would be willing to partner with him.
as he builds his church. Let's take some time quietly on our own to, to reflect. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the great and awesome God of heaven and earth. That you are a God who has made a, a covenant with your people. A relationship, a living relationship with us because of the Lord Jesus. That he is the one who has ransomed us and rescued us from our sin so that we may know you. And that it is your heart to have the whole world come to know you. Thank you that you are gathering in people from all nations, all around the world, that we can rejoice and celebrate today as we hear news reports of your church growing all over the world. Thank you for the church here in the UK, for the many centuries of gospel proclamation. Now those of us here who know and trust you, we thank you that this wonderful message has reached our ears and our hearts and has changed us. Father, we do not know when that last day will be, when your glory will fill the whole earth, when you will create a new heavens and a new earth, where you will come and dwell with your people forever, where all your promises will be fulfilled. Father, we know that that is true and that will be one day. Although we confess that often where we are right now, it's hard to see that. Perhaps you recognise our own sin and our own failings. Many people in our nation have turned from you. Your church in many ways has begun to compromise in, in truth. And Father, we want to be a church that confesses that repents on behalf of the church of your people and a church that prays that hungers for your glory that longs for you to revive and restore your church we long to see once again many many people in our nation coming to know the Lord Jesus please help us even in our own small little way here in East Oxford, to be playing whatever part it is that you have for us to play. And may this evening we be willing to stand up. May we be willing to partner with you as you lead us forward. For your glory we pray these things. Amen.